Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Ivan. In today's episode, we explore the case of Jeffrey Epstein. We uncover his rise to tremendous wealth and the inner workings of his time on Wall Street. We go through his history of pedophilia and sexual abuse, starting from his time in Palm Beach to the abuses that took place on the Little St. James Island with the wealthy figures that accompanied him. We also look at how Jeffrey Epstein continuously evaded jail time and used his influence to corrupt the justice system in order to secure a never-before-seen plea deal. Finally, we look at the circumstances surrounding his death and the current case of his longtime partner, Gillian Maxwell. Take a listen. All right, let's get into this, man. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein, if anything happens to any of us when this episode releases, you know who did it. <laughs> no, but this this is definitely going to be an interesting one because I, like, when the Jeffrey news and everything was coming out, I never actually took time to read about it. I just, I was getting it from the media, seeing it, seeing what was happening, especially when what happened to him in jail. I was just seeing it from the media, but I never actually delved into, like, yo, who is this guy? What is he doing? And honestly, I did not know who Jeffrey Epstein was before this case. I had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same for me. Like I've, yeah, I never heard of him before. Um, the sexual allegations, like the sexual abuse allegation stuff, came out, and uh, like the most I, the most I researched on him, it's never been researched. I just I was listening to uh, this New York Times Daily. A daily briefing podcast every morning last summer and it was like 30 minutes and they would basically just say what's in the news and then they would cover one particular story and uh, they once covered um, the Jeffrey Epstein uh, um, allegations um, yeah, and they just you know it was it was one of those things that you know I learned about it and kind of moved on um, but but also, yeah, I would hear about it in the news because there was like there's a whole um he because he had he had so many powerful friends, you know, the Bill Clintons, the the Trumps, you know, and there's the whole thing that will address to the Secretary of Labor uh at w- one time under Trump, uh Alexander Acosta was yeah and there's the Prince Andrew thing, you know, so like we would hear about it, but I would like, I never like focused on it. Mm-hmm. And I think cause like Jeffrey Epstein are people technically you're not supposed to hear about cause they're really the people that operate behind the scenes. And like, and we'll get into like how he's made so much money and everything he did, but these are the guys that they're not really in the, they're not in the public life. So you're not mm-hmm. supposed, you don't really hear about them until they commit a crime. <laughs> so but other than that, you technically, if it wasn't for the crimes Jeffrey Epstein committed, then we would have probably never heard about him. But if you're in those circles, like those mm-hmm. people, those rich people, then you definitely know about him. Cause as like, we watched that, uh, that Netflix documentary mm-hmm. and a lot of these, these people in the documentary, the ones that operate within those circles, they talk about like yeah i've heard about him you know under circles he's kind of like like rich guy they say he was he was good looking uh that's their opinion not mine and they're like yeah good looking rich guy we knew he was rich but we didn't know really how he made his money so mm-hmm. like even some people in those circles don't weren't even sure about how jeffrey epstein made his money and i think 
that's one of the big things here that you'll that you'll learn. Like guys like Kim aren't really public life guys. You know, they're very mm. private. Yeah. No, it's um, you know, one of the weirdest things about this case is that he's well from everything that it looks like he seems to be really rich. Like he's probably like if what the uh, media and what we know, you know, publicly is true is that he's a billionaire and that, you know, what's weird about it is that he's one of those billionaires that people don't know how, how they made their money. You know, oftentimes the billionaires we hear about are like the, uh, you know, the Jeff Bezos, the, the, Elon Musk's, even the Trumps, and like people know exactly how they make their money, you know, through Bill their Gates too, mm -hmm. Bill Gates, Bill Gates, exactly, you know, like through their companies, the Microsoft, the, 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 the like the entrepreneurial billionaires. But there's also these other sort of billionaires. There, there are also those who are rich because their families are rich. But this is not the case of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So he's like one of those like hedge fund guys like yeah. you know money managers who who rises to the top you know which is yeah. which is kind of like rare to hear about you know so and you go like i'm about to dive into right now because he's from uh brooklyn new york uh is i think he's, he's from a working class neighborhood to say right here in coney island so uh at, in terms of uh university he, he attended the Cooper Union in 1971, which is a private college, I believe. And then he then transferred to New York University, and he was there till 1974. So he's kind of in between those two schools for like three years, but he never ended up getting a degree from them. So mm -hmm. that's one thing to keep in mind. And after after those universities, he became a physics and mathematics teacher adult in school which is a private middle school high school like we have i didn't know they also have that in the states well mm -hmm. i guess it makes sense because when we originally when we were in high school i mean in middle school we were in a separate school yeah. and then we transferred to another school for high school but then now now that both schools are together so yeah so dalton school is like middle school and high school in the upper east side of manhattan and i'm guessing it was one of those very rich private schools because mm -hmm. it's there that he actually meets uh the CEO of Burstein's uh, uh Alan Greenberg, because mm -hmm. his kids go to Dalton, so he meets he meets the CEO of that company there. And after he's fired from uh Dalt from Dalton School for he said for poor performance. So I don't know if it's poor performance on him or poor performance on the students. But regardless, he got fired for poor performance, and then he mm -hmm. gets hired by Alan Greenberg. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Bear Stearns is an investing banking firm, which actually shut down in two thousand and eight during the financial crisis. So, from at that at that job, Jeffrey Epstein was like went from a low level junior investor to a limited partner in four years, which is actually is actually very very quick. Some people spend whole life at a company and did not become a partner. So mm -hmm. clearly, when he got there, like he was in this, he was in this space. He knew what he was doing. Right, that was from seventy six to nineteen eighty. And then after, after uh, working for Greenberg, then he goes and he uh, and he founds his own company called Intercontinental Assets Incorporation, 
IEG in 1981. So FC founds that himself. And basically, that company is to help clients recover money from shady investments. And I guess you would really need that, because especially people that are that rich, they spend a lot of money investing into different businesses or whatever. And sometimes you get into like invest the whole point of investing right you're investing and hopefully the business turns into something if it doesn't turn into something then you lose a lot of money right but i'm guessing in these cases and you'll find out why jeffrey Epstein knows really what businesses are shady and what are not shady but he helps his wealthy clients recover money and during that time it said that jeffrey Epstein also reportedly was a government consultant at times helping the government i think track money uh, not recover money, like track probably illegal money. I don't know. Something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, when a reporter, actually, Vicky Ward said that she was told in 2017 by a former White House official that US that the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida, Alexander Acosta, which we'll talk about, who handled Epstein's case in the 2008, that's the Palm Beach case, said to Trump, Trump's transition interviewers that I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone, and that Epstein was above his pay grade, as in Acosta's pay grade. So the mm-hmm. fact that Epstein would be above Acosta's pay grade is earth. So obviously, you have something there that you know that only probably a few people know what mm-hmm. he actually did for the government, right? And also some of his clients um, with uh, IAG, his own company. Mm-hmm. One of them is a Saudi Arabian businessman. Uh, Adnan Khashoggi, who was a middle middleman in transferring American weapons from Israel to Iran, as part of the Contra affair in the 1980s. After the, after um, Jeffrey Epstein founds his company in 1980, uh, 1981, then he's hired by Stephen Hoffenberg in 1987. Epstein is hired as a uh, by his company, which is the Tower Financial Corporation, which is basically a collection agency that. Uh, buys the debts of people that those people owe maybe a debt to the hospital, to banks, phone companies, etc. So they buy that debt, and that's how that's how they make their money. Which is actually really very interesting to me. That just companies, well, that's how it works. But but people, you buy debt from other people, you get that security, and your company kind of grows in value because you know you have all that. Oh, what's it called in? Accounting terms is uh, what's it called? It's called um, something. It's like when you know you're gonna receive that money. I forgot. There's an accounting, there's an accounting term. Accounts receivable, senior accounts receivable. So you know you're gonna, okay. you know you're gonna eventually get that. So yeah, that's what he's basically doing at the Tower Financial. That's between that's in 1987 and in 1993, the company goes under for running one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history. And but the funny thing about it is, your guy Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein left like four years before that. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Epstein left it left in nineteen eighty nine, and I think the CEO of the company they show him in the Netflix commercial, but he, I mean in the Netflix documentary. But he like he also says that Jeffrey Epstein helped run that Ponzi scheme. He was like integral in mm-hmm. running that. But Jeffrey Epstein, I guessing knowing. What he knew about the company, he left the company four years before the company gets caught for one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history, right? Mm-hmm. So 1988, um, yeah, so I was, as I was saying, after he left, um, 
Power Financial Corporation. He then founds his own he founds his own uh financial management firm, which is called Jeffrey Epstein and Company. According to Epstein, the goal was basically of his of that company was to manage assets of clients with more than a one billion dollar net worth. To this day, I believe the only publicly known uh, client that Jeffrey Epstein had for that company was Leslie Wexner. So Leslie Wexner, whoever, whoever, whoever watched the documentary, he's basically the CEO and founder of L Brand, which is a, it's a fashion retailing company. And that company owns Victoria's Secrets, uh, Abercrombie and Finch, uh, and Fitch. Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, Bath and Body Works, uh, and yeah, all these companies are owned by L Brand. So Les Wexner is pretty rich. So Wexner basically, since Jeffrey Epstein is kind of his uh, financial consultant or whatever, he gives Jeffrey Epstein basically free reigns to run his wealth, run basically run the company. He gets Jeffrey Epstein gets to write checks. Gets he just has free reigns to do a lot. So he's handling Wexner's money, right? And in 1996, his firm, like Jeffrey Epstein's firm, he changed his name to Financial Trust Company, and he based it in the Virgin Islands. So by basing his company in the Virgin Islands, his, uh, I believe his federal income tax was reduced by 90%. So we already know like a lot of these rich people, they search for tax havens, mm-hmm. like off, always offshore. Sorry. So he, that's why he based his company in the Virgin Islands. And later on, like Wexner, like this is this is actually very recent. This is this decade. Uh, Wexner said that he believes Jeffrey Epstein misappropriated misappropriated forty six million dollars of his financials. So obviously a lot of money. And between two thousand and between two thousand and two thousand and seven, then Epstein be, uh, is the president of a company called Liquid Funding Ltd. I believe it's just another hedge fund company. And that's kind of who Jeffrey Epstein is and kind of how he's made his money. That's basically a brief. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's just interesting how, uh, like, obviously there's, there's, uh, there's the part about him kind of like evading taxes legally, I guess, you know, and, uh, but also just, you know, just the secrecy of how he makes his money, how he made his money, you know, like imagining a guy being a hedge fund manager or just a wealth manager and being able to make that much money, like a, more than a billion dollars. It's just like, like in, in my experience, it's unheard of, right? Um, as I said before, most, the m- most billionaires that we hear about are entrepreneurial and, and some of them have like family um come from family wealth and they they're able to grow that wealth um such as Donald Trump you know uh or the uh like the French billionaire family the Betancourt which is uh, the i guess the wealthiest family in, in France um but just for him basically going from from obviously just like uh perhaps a middle class or like perhaps even a high middle class family t- uh to to becoming a billionaire managing wealth you know there's there's a lot to 
I guess there's a lot to, if I was investigating the case, I would, there's a lot to investigate there. Yeah. Yeah, and like he's probably surpassed like most of the bosses he had before he became a billionaire. So mm-hmm. he got like, like I said, like his first company he went with with Alan Greenberg. He started as a low level trader, and then he becomes a limited partner, which in four in a span of four years. So mm-hmm. whatever happens in those four years, I don't know what it is, but that guy really had a talent for for hedge funds and etc. Yeah, and uh, now that we've addressed who he is and his like background in terms of uh, his career, could you like walk us through the the these actually abuse uh, cases that the first charges that were laid on him uh, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight? Uh, kind of even I think before before that he. It was in New York. I forgot. I forgot what year it was. It says it shows in the documentary. But he, he, him, and Gillian Maxwell like are seen. Like people think they're a couple, but yeah, they're together. So there's this uh, uh this artist, a painter mm-hmm. in New York. She's yeah. She I think she just finished school and she's just doing her painting and etc. And and she had I remember she had she said that she had sold her painting to this other wealthy person like mm-hmm. for twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, and then. Jeff and then her, I believe her teacher came to her and was was like, uh, was like, yo, you're gonna sell this painting to these guys, and she's like, I already sold the painting, mm-hmm. and then she's like, no, you're gonna sell it to these guys, and these guys were Gilan Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. So and she's like, and the and she was also told like you're gonna give them a discount. So basically, she sold the painting to them for six thousand dollars, and then mm-hmm. Jeffrey Epstein told her like it's gonna be worth your while. So. After after that, um, she does Jeffrey Epstein and Gillian Maxwell kind of bring her into the fold. Like she's she's she now um, is an artist in residency in Ohio. I believe they sent her to live on the property where Leslie Wexner, like where he had his property in Ohio, mm-hmm. and she was living like right behind his house. Yeah, and she was painting and etc. And that's when. Elan Maxwell, Jeffrey, I've seen they visited her once and then they, I don't know, I forgot what was the exact details of what they did to her, but they, I believe they, they abused her and touched her, etc. And then after that, they also asked her about, um, after they, they had done that, she went to go look in her belongings because she, she drew like, uh, she painted pictures of, let's say, like it was nudity and etc. And she had pictures of her sisters too that she was that she would paint. And she came back in her room and she had three of her pictures had been stolen, right, of her mm-hmm. sisters. And after that, she had also well, I think before that, her sister like was introduced also to Jeffrey Epstein and Gillian Maxwell. And they and Jeffrey Epstein was like, Yo, because her sister was about to go into university. She was still in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey Epstein had told her, um, look, you need to go on these trips to like thailand vietnam it would look better on your resume um so she's like okay so she ended up she was planning on going on the trip but first she had to they flew her out to new mexico where jeffrey epstein and Gillian maxwell were and they also sexually abused her and then after she was sent to vietnam and thailand and etc and they both sisters had originally never spoken to each other about this, mm-hmm. but it came to the point where like they finally did, and then their sister was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna take care of this." So she ends up going to 
the FBI, and the FBI is they seem like they believe her, but nothing is done after mm-hmm. that. So she's like, okay. Then she goes to Vanity Fair, and then she and the I believe the story is already is is written down and etc. by Vicky. I forgot it's a journalist that was for Vanity Vanity Fair. Her name was Vicky. So she writes down the story, and then her Jeffrey Epstein actually threat, threatens Vanity Fair, like, mm-hmm. nah, you can't, you can't print this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Vanity Fair end up ends up not printing the story. Mm-hmm. And Vanity Fair, like, till this day, like, their defense to it was like it didn't meet her legal threshold, mm-hmm. right? They're still they're saying like the issue of Jeffrey Epstein was already getting ready to be released, and this. It came at a moment where it didn't even le- meet the legal threshold, so we didn't release it, which take it for what you believe. But mm-hmm. I think that's where you really see the influence Jeffrey Epstein has like with those media companies itself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and you know, if I could add, it's just that uh, you know, when we're talking about this, keep in mind that many of the people who were abused were young girls they weren't even adults in many instances um the the uh, one of the sisters you were talking about the the one who was promised a trip to thailand and whatever she she was 16 at the time if i if i i recall that correctly and uh like as as we were going through uh you know the the allegations you know one of the disturbing pieces of this is that um these were young girls you know and there's no other way to to describe it you know sometimes um people sometimes we tend to think of it as uh as uh, he, he, that he was abusing women you know like um but in many instances it was he was just abusing young girls you know so um yeah we had just have to keep that in mind and i want to make that clear mm-hmm. and then even in palm beach is one of his that's the most probably disgusting uh stories right you have a lot of these girls 14 13 16 or whatever mm-hmm. like in high school like he from his mansion in palm beach he's basically inviting these girls like, and you realize it's always the same breakdown it's like they invite the he invites these girls for massages and then it turns into sexual it turns sexual very quickly and these and these girls they don't there's like no time to react or like you don't even know what to do and you're because you're, you know for you're in the presence of a very powerful man and you're 14 13 mm-hmm. like is is like he really prayed, prayed on, prayed on the weekend. What he would do in Palm Beach, and they showed it in documentaries that so he would have these girls come over, and then and he would sexually abuse them. And then for the ones like so for some of them that didn't want to do it, he would be like, okay, and he would give them two hundred dollars for the ones who who he sexually abused. For the ones who wouldn't, he's like, you know what, bring a friend over. And then I'll give you two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, now he created a whole web and connection of young girls all coming to the house, right? Then mm-hmm. it's done through the friend of a friend of a friend inviting a girl come over, and these are all all vulnerable young girls still in high school. So he has a full network of 
of girls and these are these are girls like even um uh the, like that the police went through trash and you'll talk about how they developed the case against him like they found like report cards in his trash and that tells you how young these girls are you're finding report cards so it's no it's uh it's that was probably one of the most disturbing parts of 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 this right like you have because obviously palm beach itself was like a very wealthy wealthy neighbor and some of these mm-hmm. girls are coming from i think this they call it the uh, west palm and west palm is more west palm is more working working class and etc mm-hmm. and they're crossing through this bridge they cross and once they go across that bridge that that's when you get into the very wealthy so they already know there's something they're somewhere where it's so unfamiliar to them like it's very foreign mm-hmm. and now everything jeffrey epstein does to them is just like this is what they they do here right so yeah no it's it it it's really distur- it's a disturbing story you know um you know, and I remember one of like one of the most disturbing uh, stories in in the Netflix special was that uh, he he would send people over at the high schools where the the girls he sexually assaulted were like they were attending, and he would send like flowers and stuff to them. So he like he this was he. He was just basically preying on girls, you know. Um, yeah, it was your definition of a predator. Yeah, and it, and it's not just that weird predator story that we hear about, you know, of just uh, someone who's standing in the street or is driving a white van or something. But this is a wealthy individual who has a lot of influence and, you know, and as as we were going through the case, you will you will see how his wealth and and, and influence influenced the, the the criminal justice uh, system. Um, so I don't know if you want to start uh, in describing the the, the case uh, in two thousand five, where uh, like the a woman reported to the Florida police that her stepdaughter was assaulted um, and abused by Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the moms. She called the police because she had found, I think she saw his daughter had like a hundred and something dollars and like in cash. And she was like, yo, where'd you get this? Mm-hmm. And the daughter, like she wouldn't say originally. And then she's like, yo, where, where did this money come from? And then that's when he she tells her mom. And then the mom calls the police and says, yeah, she... This is, I think, um, I don't remember exact words, but she's like, there's this guy who invites girls to his house and pays them for massages. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first tip off to the police. They're like, okay, now there's something happening. There's something happening. And by the description like of the house and et cetera, they're very quickly able to find out, okay, this is Jeffrey Epstein's house. Mm-hmm. And now that's where the investigation starts yeah and uh basically the well the the case was referred to the fbi because of how like just how big in scope it was you know um um but the the detective would basically start surveilling his house uh the airport where he had two planes i believe and uh you know um like and if like uh ultimately the the in the case they they basically found more than eighty eighty girls 
who were potentially abused by Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, if, uh, if I can just like, uh, kind of describe what were his practices, you know, um, he would basically just in Palm Beach, he would bring underage girls at his mansion and he would basically the girls were told that they were going to be giving a massage to an older guy. Um, and then during the massage, he would often like, it would often sexually abuse the girls. He would ask them, uh, to touch him while he was pleasuring himself. He would, he would touch them. He would ask them to undress. And sometimes he would even have intercourse with them. And, you know, and I just really want to underline this because I've seen, you know, I've seen some media stories uh, covering this as if it was a story of a guy abusing adult women, but these were underage girls, you know, so I just want to make that clear. Um, and basically the, the case was, as I said, it was referred to the FBI in 2008 and after years of investigation, um, Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to the charges of solicitation of prostitution and procurement of minors for prostitution in a deal with uh, federal prosecutors. Um, and uh, this basically led to him being ultimately charged and put in jail for 13 months. Um, but uh, obviously 13 months is like, you know, that's quite insignificant given the 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 scope and the gravity of of the charges but he was able to get just the 13 months because he signed a deal with a US attorney uh in Miami uh Alexander Acosta who later became secretary of labor under Donald Trump and he resigned when the uh, uh the Jeffrey Epstein uh uh, case kind of got like when he got charged again in 2019. Um, but part of his, his, um, uh, part of the, 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 the deal that he signed with, with Acosta was that he would be, he would basically be, uh, imprisoned in, uh, like in a private, like in a private quarter, quarter of, uh, of uh, the prison so and he had he basically had access to an office for i think for 16 hours a, a day or something like quite ridiculous it was just like it, he was it was so comfortable for him right in jail he like he only spent 13 13 months and was he convicted for 18 months and then he spent 13 months or was he um, I'm not sure. I think, uh, I'm not sure, but I, all I know is that he only spent 13 months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and like the deal that he cut was that he, he basically signed what, what is called a non-prosecution agreement, which granted immunity to any potential co-conspirators. Meaning that his wealthy friends, powerful friends, who were alleged to be uh, involved in his crimes, would n not face any consequences. Um, 
and that uh, the deal was kept secret from from the victims. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I believe those co-conspirators were also co-conspirators, named or unnamed. So people mm-hmm. you don't even know maybe could have prospered. They're just even those people that are not named also get shielded from prosecution. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and you know what's even crazy about that is that in the the case in the twenty two thousand seven indictment, the FBI had prepared like a. Fifty-three pages of sex crimes indictment for for Epstein. So, like, they had a a massive and perhaps solid case uh, against Jeffrey Epstein. But the U.S. attorney in Miami decided to to cut a deal instead of pursuing further, a, a further and more stricter um, uh, charge. Mm-hmm. And. Uh... Also, like after he was, that's the thing. I think right after that's maybe why he might have been convicted for eighteen and then only spent thirteen because he was afterwards he was on probation. Mm-hmm. And when he was on probation on in Palm in Palm Beach, he like the police talk about it. The police officers talk about it a lot in the documentaries. Like this guy would violate his probation like regularly. He'd be outside doing whatever he he wants, and he's a registered sex offender mm-hmm. in Florida, but he. Could go and he had never seen this type of this type of just dare like for the law itself and i think he he had notified his one of his supervisors like yo this guy's violating his his probation he's everywhere he's mm-hmm. outside he's probably flying out of the state or whatever and they're like yo what do you want us to do he's too he's rich like he's mm-hmm. a celebrity what do you like literally so basically it kind of shows that this guy was very untouchable right like mm-hmm. even in the eyes of the law, there he's untouchable. And, and I was reading an, an article here by the New York Times where they, where it was during the time when uh, afterwards, like when uh, Alexander Acosta was working for Trump, and then he had to do that press conference, mm-hmm. basically. And then in that press conference, he justifies why he gave Jeffrey Epstein this deal. He's like, "Yo, I wanted." I'm quoting here. He's like, "I wanted to help them." He's like, Mr. Acosta, who was the top federal prosecutor in Miami at the time, said of victims during an hour-long session with reporters at the Labor Department, that is why I intervened. And that's what the prosecutors of my office did. They insisted that he go to jail and put the world on notice that he was a sexual predator. And so while condemning Mr. Epstein's horrific crimes, Mr. Acosta offered no apology, nor did he channel the 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 outrage over the deal felt by many critics, right? Instead, he offered a measured, uh, nuanced defense, unusual for an administration in which attack the attacker Bombas is more common, common while suggesting that times had changed in a way that had made his compromise that they could go look different. Today, we know a lot more how the victim's trauma expects their testimony. Our juries are more accepting of contradicti- contradictory statements understand that trauma-impacted memories work differently. And today, our judges do not allow victim shaming by the defense attorneys. That's what you saw. Like, if you, I, I encourage you guys to watch the documentary, but when they were, uh, when the defense was trying to defend Jeffrey Epstein, like his team of lawyers, he put together like, like a, a team of well-known lawyers together. When he was, when they were defending Jeffrey Epstein, and they basically, what they did was, 
they evaluated the, the the something of the witnesses. They evaluated, they just evaluated the witnesses and they, they cross-examined the witnesses and basically they engage in full-blown victim shaming. They're like, yo, I think one was one was really crazy. He, he's like, the, the guy, Jeffrey Epstein lawyer, asked the girl, did you just have like two or three abortions or something? Like, while in the deposition, like he, they're engaging in full-blown, um, full, full-blown like victim shaming, etc. And Acosta, what he says here is like, like yo, times have changed, you know. Like now we kind of understand, we understand more. Maybe, and I, I don't know if he's doing that to say that, you know, if if we apply to the standard to back then, then I wouldn't have given them that deal. No, that wasn't the 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 best thing on the table. But to him, his defense is like, yo, this was the best. This was this was the best thing that could have happened. Because at least with this deal that I gave them, they're mm-hmm. like assured to have. He's assured to have prison time and. He's like a registered sex offender, but clearly that did not that did not stop uh, Jeffrey Epstein from continuing what he did. Yeah, and you know, just on the point of victim shaming, um, you know, it it was just it, it was just incredibly uh, horrific how basically even not only the the defense team but also just the 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 prosecutors who would often intimidate the the girls, uh, especially those who were bringing in more friends, um, and and they would basically they would I guess it's it, it was just a tactic in order to to find more crimes, but they would basically uh, tell them that you get you committed crimes, you participated in crimes, uh, in um uh, in bringing your friends over at uh, Jeffrey Epstein's place and uh you know like the 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 mentality there was that that you know these younger girls especially those who brought in more friends uh or the mentality was that they were not victims per yeah. se but they were co-conspirators which is like it sounds mind blowing to me because these were minors you know like they were they're manipulated by someone who's like who's like who could be their grandfather yeah and there was a uh, there was a recording of one of the like when one of the girls were at the police station and she explains yeah like i brought this many girls or whatever jeffrey epstein and the police officer goes okay well now you just admitted to be an accessory to a crime Mm -hmm without acknowledging the fact that she she was sexually abused too like she mm-hmm. is a victim too and they kind of made her the criminal and that's the thing about the justice system like especially with this case is that they made her the kind of made her the criminal and then you have a guy like a jeffrey epstein who's actually the criminal mm-hmm. who only spends 13 months in jail yeah it's like there's a disconnect there yeah and you know just to speak of Jeffrey's uh, wealth and influence, like every like when the authorities were investigating him, he he would basically assemble a team of private investigators to dig dirt on the girls who accused him and on the police and the prosecutors on the case. So and his team was like was composed of many powerful lawyers, including uh, Alan Dershowitz and Kenneth Starr. Um, 
you know, and you know, we we talked like before the the episode we we're discussing a bit about Alan Dershowitz and the just the the sort of cases that he he he, he does as a lawyer. And um, Ken Starr, I believe, is is a lawyer that imp- helped impeach Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, and even Dershowitz was also in the involved in the uh, Clinton uh, uh, impeachment. But it was also involved, as you said, in the OJ case, as you mentioned before the episode. And yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, Dershowitz, um, he's known for taking, like, defending, uh, you know, being involved in these, like, high profile cases and oftentimes for the, the, uh, the, the party that's being alleged to commit the, you know, these crimes. Yeah, he's always on the defense. It's not a good, and all even I even want to talk about this too because when it relates to like like you said the Jeffrey Epstein's influence like there's a the the Palm Beach State Attorney at the time like uh, he responded to Alexander Acosta's like press conference when he said yo this was the best thing you could have given him you know and he what his response to that was um, he's like uh the la- uh, he accused the labor secretary of trying to rewrite history by blaming state authorities right and this is Barry Barry Crescher who's was the Palm Beach state attorney at the time and he says i can emphat- em- emphatically state that mr acosta's recollection of this matter is completely wrong he said uh he said that the grand jury heard all the evidence available at the time and returned a single count of felony solicitation of prostitution of mr acosta Later abandoned its own his own fifty three page indictment, which we talked about after secret negotiations with Mr. Epstein's lawyers. And here's a direct quote: "He's like, no matter how my office resolved the state charges, the U.S. Attorney's Office always had the ability to file to file its own federal charges. If Mr. Acosta was truly concerned with the state's case and felt that it felt he had to rescue the matter, he would have moved forward with the fifty three page indictment that his own office." drafted yeah um yeah um yeah there's that and you know there's also the side of trauma that uh many of these uh victims uh went through after after these abuses you know and you know many of them describes describe their lives as being divided between like uh before epstein and after epstein you know and you you know in their interviews you see the like just the trauma behind their eyes and you know the scar that that uh these abuses left in their lives you know because for many you know i was imagining myself you know it's it's harder for you know uh, a guy you know to imagine these sort of sexual abuses because although they they also happen to to guys you know but you know they mostly happen to women and imagining myself or just people i know you know at that time as a 16 years old you know like this like the way it could affect your life and just throw you in just a you know just a horrible trajectory and and ask you to deal with it and just you know like combat it and try to heal you know it's 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 hard you know so 
you know, there's also that side that we shouldn't forget about the, the victims who have been traumatized and their lives have been changed, uh, oftentimes for the worse because of, of these, you know, these abuses. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'd like to kind of move on a little bit to the new charges that were brought to, to Jeffrey Epstein in 2019. Um, um yeah oh wait we were right before that i was just gonna talk real quickly about the like pedophile what, what it's called there's different names for it. people some people call it pedophile island mm-hmm. other people call it different things jeffrey epstein i believe called it the little little saint james island that was the island in the virgin islands this is basically where um I have a caretaker spoke a bit about about it on the on the documentary i guess it's basically where the worst of worst, uh, you know, his worst of worst desires. That's where he performed it at that island because he was basically secluded. It was his own island. Mm-hmm. He controlled everything, and and yeah, he. That's where you have guys like Bill Clinton were seen at the island. Prince Andrew, I believe, as well was seen as the island. Like there's a like a lot of people flew on Jeffrey Epstein's private jet. Whether they're actually at the island is also a point that's, you know, whether you can find out or not, it really depends on eyewitness testimony because you can't sometimes really, see, unless you see the person at the island, you can't say positively that he was at the island. But you mm-hmm. can see the flight, rec- flight the, the flight recorder and, and like the date, the, um, the, the manifest. Mm-hmm. So you can see who's on the plane and who's not. And a lot of people, and it's not to say that everybody that was on his plane or everybody that went to his island actually participated in these mm-hmm. activities, but that was there's how much that influence he had. Like he was bringing all these very wealthy, rich people to the island, and some people per, per, took part in in these in these uh, sexual acts. And you saw a big one with Prince Andrew. Like he said, the, the woman's name is Virginia Roberts. He's like Virginia Roberts came out and said, "Yo, did." Uh, Prince Andrew sexually sexually abused me, right? And Prince Andrew, Prince Andrew was like, uh, "I don't remember meeting the woman, etc." And he said that after a picture of him with the with uh, Virginia Roberts, like mm-hmm. they had a picture of him, his hand around Virginia Roberts' waist, mm-hmm. Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell uh, behind, and I don't know who took the picture. Maybe Jeffrey Epstein uh, took the picture. But after that picture, he's like. The the reporter asked him. The reporter asked uh, Prince Andrew, "You know, there's a picture of you with her. Like, how can you, how do you explain that?" He's like, "I don't like. I don't remember. Like, I don't know. It's like stuff like that. It's like, man, that whatever happened at that at the island, man. It was it was definitely the worst of the worst. And that caretaker in a documentary, he stopped working after mm-hmm. somebody had told them, was like, "Yo, would you let your would you let, you let your daughter?" come to this island or whatever and he's like yeah, i wouldn't let my daughter like because he had two daughters like mm-hmm. i wouldn't let my daughter five miles near jeffrey epstein mm-hmm. and the next day he quit right so even he he knew like how bad stuff were like that the island and you, and you could imagine the victims that jeff that that you know that came from the island like it's it's really not that it's really insane yeah um yeah and just Obviously, there's uh, there's the whole interview with Prince Andrew and just how, you know, death tone he was to, first of all, the the allegations um, and just 
also his role or just his role in in the whole in the whole uh, affair you know and you know it's obviously uh, we never know what's happening behind closed doors and we can't talk about what you know about the other folks who were were in Jeffrey's circle but you know it's just it's just bizarre to me that you would be around this sort of person you know and flying his private plane and never notice anything bizarre you know like even and there there you even have quotes from prominent people who acknowledge that um Jeffrey Jeffrey has that he likes younger women like you had uh basic trump in uh, new york magazine in 2002 said quote i've known jeff for 15 years terrific guy he's a lot of fun to he's a lot of fun to be with it is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as i do and many of them are on the younger side you know like what the hell you know, like really? how, you know, like it's not even a secret. Yeah, it's, it's not, not even a secret. A secret. People know that he, he likes younger women, younger younger women. But you know, like, but if you're hanging out with him, like, there's at least uh, I'm not sure exactly what's the number. I think it's either three or six instances where Donald Trump is photographed with um, Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell, and if you're hanging out around this guy and given how, you know, just the scope of, of the allegations against him in, in the Palm beach, uh, uh, in the Palm beach uh, case, there's, there are at least 80 women who were identified, you know, just the web is, is just too large not to notice, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just, you know, like sometimes imagine you have a friend who's a, who, who has, who who is the who is uh, charged of potentially ab- having abused eighty women? Like, how the hell would you not know it if you're in his circle? You know, so you know that's yes. a, yeah, that's how you know that their wealth and power r- really influences the the justice system because you know if it's regular folks who are who are in these situations, you know, they would. They would rot in jail for sure. Yeah, and we'll talk maybe talk about this at the end. But like with Gillian Maxwell now being uh, arrested, uh, Donald Trump was asked like about Gillian Maxwell being arrested, and he's he's like, "I wish her the best." Mm-hmm. How you, how you gonna wish her the best? Exactly. Like, and he said, he said, "Oh, he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just." I think he clarified later. He's like, "Like, you know, I'm just saying, I wish her the best." You know that that she justice. You know, she gets the proper justice, you know, or whatever. It's like, fam. All right. So um, going into the new charges. Uh, so in July 2019, um, Jeffrey Epstein was arrested at a New Jersey airport. He was returning from a trip from France and he was charged with sex trafficking and sex trafficking conspiracy in federal court in New York. If convicted, he would have faced up to uh, uh, 45 years in prison and he would have to forfeit his uh, Manhattan townhouse. Um, uh, And also, this case was different because prosecutors uh, 
didn't worry too much about being in double jeopardy uh, since that since that the, the new case uh, included new victims and new alleged uh, crimes. Uh, also, uh, the the indictment alleged that between 2002 and 2005, Epstein recruited girls as young as 14, not just to his Palm Beach residence, but also to his Manhattan uh, house where he sexually abused them. And also, um, uh, the indictment stated that Jeffrey Epstein knew that some of these uh, girls were underage because they expressly told him their age. Um, and uh, the document also states that uh, Epstein worked with and conspired with others, including employees and associates who facilitated his conduct by, among other things, contacting victims and scheduling their sexual encounters with Epstein. Um, and uh, we mentioned uh, Alan uh, Dershowitz before, but uh, uh, as I was uh, researching this episode, I also saw that he his first is facing a, a lawsuit is facing some charges that he he uh, also participated and uh, participated in the sexual abuse of uh virginia of roberts some, hmm? is he he's suing virginia roberts for mm -hmm. defamation and virginia roberts is suing him as well yeah so he yeah so he's also uh yeah, he's he's also swearing as well, and but uh, yeah, he's there are some charges uh, brought up against him, so we uh, we'll see where that goes. Mm -hmm. And now getting into uh, specifically what happened with Jeffrey Epstein in jail, because the, the we've all seen the conspiracy theories that have been floating, and I don't really engage in much conspiracy theories on the podcast, but the conspiracy theories for this just sell themselves they're literally just because as i'm I'm about to state like it's it's really as like these things are happening in plain sight and it's as if they think people aren't gonna see it for what it is because i i really think they're taking us for idiots because what we're about to read right now is unbelievable so he gets arrested july 6th in new york as i said for sex trafficking and other charges he's placed on in the metropolitan correctional center in lower manhattan i believe ouch chapel i was was also placed there not around the same time but he was placed there so mm -hmm. july 18 he's denied bail he offered to pay like 600k and wear ankle monitor at his new york townhouse he also not only that i think he offered like millions like he's like i think his lawyers even said like we'll literally give you all his wealth we just need <clears throat> need him to get him out right and that's a great way of showing you're not a flight risk at all like this <laughs> And after the judge obviously deems Jeffrey Epstein a flight risk, and he's put in uh, in the correctional facility. July twenty third, Jeffrey Epstein is found semi unconscious with injuries on his neck, and he Jeffrey Epstein he accused his cellmate, which is Nicholas Tartaglioni. Yeah, Nicholas Tartaglioni. He's a former cop and accused killer, I think, in a quadruple homicide. Uh, so he accuses. Uh, Nicholas of attacking him. Nick Nicholas denies it. So after an internal investigation at the facility, Nicholas is found not guilty of attacking Jeffrey Epstein. And in some cases, it is said that 
like sources have spoken to media outlets that Jeffrey Epstein did that in order to get transferred. Mm-hmm. Like he might have harmed himself or something like that. So we still don't know exactly what happened, right, with Jeffrey Epstein. But after that happens, he's put on suicide watch for six days. And then he's taken off suicide watch after those six days. It's reported that he was taken suicide watch off suicide watch after he had said that Nicholas was in fact the one who attacked him. Again, everything is kind of very hazy on what exactly happened. So then he was said to be placed in a cell with an inmate and be checked every thirty minutes. So he was placed with an he was placed with an inmate, but his the name of the inmate has never been ever released. Right on August eighth, Jeffrey Epstein writes his will where he gives he puts all his assets into a trust. So that's on August eighth he writes his will. It seems to me at that point he already knew he was. He was he was gonna be a goner. On August 9th, like now that Jeffrey Epstein now he's put in a special housing unit after being put on suicide watch, and that special housing unit is where he's put with an inmate inmate and he's supposed to be checked every 30 minutes. So on August 9th, the cellmate gets transferred. Jeffrey Epstein's cellmate gets transferred, no replacement is brought in. So effectively Jesse Epstein is alone on August 9th. That evening he meets with his lawyers and is escorted back to his cell around 7.59 p.m. So CCTV uh, footage shows that that the guards didn't check on him at 10 p.m. And one guard passed by his cell at 10.30, which was the last time Jeffrey Epstein, like any guard was even near Jeffrey Epstein in mm-hmm. his quarters like that night. And now that's when the evidence shows that the body, both bodyguards fell asleep at their desk for three hours and falsified reports. The two cameras in front of his of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's cell malfunctioned that night, and another camera was found to have unusable footage, whatever that means. So the next morning, uh, when they're doing rounds, basically, I think they were giving out breakfast in the morning. They were on 6, 6.30. Epstein's Epstein is found unresponsive in cardiac arrest in his cell with a strip of bed sheet wrapped around his neck. CPR is performed, and then he's brought into the hospital. His body's moved. He's brought. He's rushed into the hospital, and then yeah, he's pronounced dead. So even uh, transferring Jeffrey Epstein's body was, according to the prison, it's already a protocol violation in the suicide scene. A suicide scene should be left intact. And a picture of the body needs to be taken as it as it was found, right? Mm-hmm. And no, none of that was followed. Uh, the autopsy reveals that the that the Jeffrey Epstein had broken bones in his neck, which is more common for victims of homicide by strangulation. Um, so originally, uh, they said that he died to to suicide, but I believe his brother hired somebody else to run an autopsy and. The, and that then the man who ran the autopsy was like, you no, know, the, the specific fractures he has uh in the bone that's like near his neck. Like that type of he had like these three fractures that it's like, you know, that's something from brute force. That does not come from leaning forward and and like basically uh killing yourself, right? Um so after that that's where conspiracy theories start flying around. Even Trump retweets something about a tweet that was talking about the Clinton's body count, like about how Clinton's killed so many people. Maybe they killed Jeffrey Epstein too. So you're, the own president is engaging in this, right? Uh, later on, uh, the New York uh, New York indicted the two guards that were on duty that night, Michael Thomas and Tova Noel, 
charging them with creating false records and conspiracy. Their bell was set at 100,000. They claimed that they were scapegoats for larger issues within the federal prison system. In December 2019, if you guys remember how I spoke a bit about before, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's first cellmate, which is Nicholas uh, Cartiglione, he wanted to use the footage of uh, the night uh, Jeffrey Epstein was first found with injuries because as Nicholas had always said that, yo, I saved them. Like, I didn't do anything to hurt him. So it's like, yo, can I use this footage? Because he has his own court proceedings. Obviously, he's charged with a quadruple homicide, etc. So he said he wants to use the footage outside the cell to demonstrate his character and how he tried to save Jeffrey Epstein. Lo and behold, the, prosec- the federal uh, prosecutor uh, reported in July 23rd that the footage had disappeared, right? So Judge Kenneth Karras requests that the government find out what happened to the footage. Then prosecutors say that the footage is now found, but in January, they say that the footage has been permanently deleted due to clerical error. So it goes from the footage is not there to, oh, we found the footage to, oh, we permanently deleted it. It's very, very convenient. So now we have no footage, no, no footage of that. And that's kind of where the Jeffrey, the Jeffrey o, uh, st- uh, story kind of ends for him in jail with more answers than questions, than more, questions. more, more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, if I can just pick it up, uh, and just link, uh, Gillian Maxwell as well. She, so she was, she faces six counts. That include transportation of a minor with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity and perjury. So, uh, prosecutors have accused her of facilitating the sexual abuse of minors by Jeffrey Epstein, who was um, her boyfriend, I guess. Uh, she has denied her. She has denied any wrongdoings. Um, and that, uh, so the prosecutors have argued that she's an extreme risk flight because of her financial resources and other factors. She had three passports, uh, passports from three, three countries, uh, and investigators have said that they've identified more than 15 banks accounts, bank accounts linked to her with a total, uh, balance, which at times exceeded, uh, $20 million. Um, uh, and, uh, so, but she, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell has tried as well, as well as her lawyers, they've tried to distance her from, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. They've said that, uh, Gil, quote, and, and I'm quoting the lawyers, Ghislaine Maxwell is not Jeffrey Epstein. That's their, that's what they're saying. And that, uh, but uh, the judge in question, Judge Nathan, has uh, so she, she, uh, he has done. They have the judge have denied the uh, 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 the the motion to have her release because uh, the judge deems her to be a a, a, a flight risk. Um, but uh yeah one of the reasons why i guess the judge denied is that when they uh tried to arrest her she she was she was basically hiding she attempt, attempted to hide in her house um uh in new hampshire so basically the fbi agents who went to arrest her 
uh, on the morning of July 2nd had to broke through the break through the gates and uh, and as they approach approach the front door they announced themselves and this is according to the New York Times and uh, so before opening the door uh, they some agents saw through the windows that she was uh, she was uh, quickly trying to hide in another room and they found like a her cell phone in a tin foil on top of a desk uh which which I don't know if 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 it was an attempt to kind of destroy evidence or or what but uh yeah so she's she's basically uh uh she's been in custody in a federal jail in uh, Brooklyn since since her arrest so that's where the the story is at right now yeah, and I think one of the uh, the saddest thing is that, especially for the victims that didn't, because some of them had the when at Jeffrey Epstein's bail hearing, some victims were able to get into court, and the judge let the victims speak directly with Jeffrey Epstein. So it's the first time they're really confronting Jeffrey Epstein. But also for a lot of the victims, they never got to see, let alone see Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. and talk to him but also see him actually get justice right so since he quote-unquote committed suicide now that he's dead like they don't get to see him live the rest of his life out in jail and i think that's 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 tough that's that's a sad part especially especially for the victims and uh hopefully hopefully they don't the government does not ruin this Gillian maxwell case because even now people are people aren't expecting much from the government like if we find out by the time this episode comes out that something with Elon maxwell i don't know whatever it is like people would not be surprised because we've seen it with jeffrey epstein like people already even the victims knew that even if jeffrey epstein gets arrested they're like yo they, i know this guy has too much has so much power because they've seen his influence firsthand and then now all this happened with jeffrey epstein I mean, we don't have any evidence of anything because everything's deleted and there's no there's no answers to what what exactly happened, right? So hopefully the government's able to handle this one. Because as General General Barr stated after he it was announced that Jeffrey Epstein had uh, had died, he's like, yo, there's so many ir- irregularities that mm-hmm. happened here. Like every it was the perfect storm. Everything bad that could happen happened. Mm-hmm. So it's like now I think the spotlight is on for them to get this one right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just to echo that sent- sentiment, I hope that the uh, the victims do get, you know, some sense of justice, whether it's through, uh, you know, um, paid for some damages that they may have incurred because uh, they're still suing uh, Jeffrey Epstein's estate, you know. So um, I hope that uh, the victims do get something out of it now that they won't get to see uh, Jeffrey Epstein pay his debt or pay for his crimes um yeah and um yeah just one last thing I, i'm not sure if you 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 researched this but i i forgot to uh kind of like thoroughly research on this but i remember uh a while back there was a federal judge who was handling the the jeffrey epstein case after he died obviously but uh who had um her son and son killed and has been the shot 
and uh, she released a video saying that this was an act of intimidation. Um, I'll try to to find some uh, audio and put it in. in Man, the that's how long this pandemic has been. Because I remember that story when it first came out, but mm-hmm. it it left my mind like that. It was very big like when it happened. I'm like, yo, what is going on? And I f- completely forgot about it till you just brought it up. Yeah, I just I just remembered it now as you're as you were talking. So um, that's how you know how how big this case is. You know? Her son's dead, right? Her son is dead, and the person who showed up showed up in I think in a FedEx uniform, and uh, she I think she was in her basement with her son discussing, and then they heard the the their door ring. And the son rushed upstairs to open the door. And uh, so her husband as well was just behind his son, her son. Uh, and then um, as the son opened up the door, the guy in the FedEx who posed as if he was delivering mail shot uh, the, the son. I don't know how many times, but the son tried to shield his father from being shot. But he, the father was also shot, but he... He didn't die from the from the wounds, but the, unfortunately, the son did. Uh, but the mom is a federal judge who's handling the case, and she said that this is an act of intimidation. When did she release that video? I I don't recall. Two weeks ago, my life as I knew it changed in an instant, and my family will never be the same. A madman, who I believe was targeting me because of my position as a federal judge, came to my house. Our family had just finished a weekend celebration in honor of our son, Daniel Mark's 20th birthday. But as the afternoon progressed, it was time to clean up from the weekend festivities. Daniel and I went downstairs to the basement, and we were chatting, as we always do. And Daniel said, Mom, let's keep talking. I love talking to you, Mom. And it was at that exact moment that the doorbell rang. And Daniel looked at me and said, who is that? And before I could say a word, he sprinted upstairs. Within seconds, I heard the sound of bullets and someone screaming, no. I later learned that uh, this monster who had a FedEx package in his hand opened fire. But Daniel, being Daniel, protected his father. And he took the shooter's first bullet directly to the chest. The monster then turned his attention to my husband and began to shoot at my husband one shot after another. Mark was shot three times. One bullet entered his right chest. The other, his left abdomen. And the last one, the right forearm. Yeah. Since that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you you know, it's just... You know we've had the pandemic, so it's hard to um, 
I guess I guess the media could do a better job, like the cable news or media in general could do a better job. But like you know, so many things have been happening in this in these times. You know, like from the protest to the pandemic to everything else that's happening. You know, and even now there's also the election coming up in the U.S. So uh, yeah, so that's how just crazy uh, the times we're living in are right now because like a federal judge was there was an attempt on the life of a federal uh, federal judge and that was did not pierce through the media bubble coverage bubble that is going right now you know and it was just a the story was just a, had a brief uh, life no that's crazy and i guess that's i, I don't have anything else to say on this right? no that's... yeah no there's Man, I really, I really want to know where this, where this case goes. And like to close, uh, sometimes we give our suggestion, whatever. I want to give a suggestion of this new show I'm watching, The Plot Against America. Mm-hmm. Steve Kerr actually spoke about it, like a while ago on Inside the NBA when he was with Ernie. Actually, if he wasn't Inside the NBA, it was Ernie's podcast or whatever. But he was talking about it. And he, I've, I watched it. I finished it. It's a mini series. Like it's very good. It's basically all. It's a alternate history is basically what mm-hmm. if would have what would have happened if roosevelt wasn't re-elected and they elected a president who's who was uh an anti-semite basically also kind of an isolationist so basically effectively america doesn't enter world war ii mm-hmm. because of that because of that president right and now you see all these things happening you see what happens when you have a president that basically gives dog whistles to specific groups and these specific groups they use that dog whistle and they just commit these heinous acts against against the jews in america and you just see the fear in families when you see like the world around the world that you know crumbling down and there's so much there's so much like for a lot of the characters you'll see like a lot of jews like there's a denial to some sort of like you know this is the country i grew up in like this is not turning into that but there's so much denial to the point where it takes like such heinous action to be for them to realize that like, yo, this world we're living in is different. And I think it was a perfect, it was a perfect show for the timeline right now. Like if you guys watch it, like you'll be like, damn, that's very, that's very similar to times we're living in right now, times we have lived in before. And obviously, I love I love alternate history, especially especially this. So I would consider watching it. it's on HBO. I'm sure. A lot of people have illegal ways to watch shows, so if you don't have HBO Max, you, you figure out a way to watch it. Six-part series. Uh, the Plot Against America. Yeah, and uh, if I can just recommend something as well, I was just looking this up as you were talking, but there's this book that I just uh, um, finished reading. It's called Marked Race, Crime, and find- Finding Work in an Era of Mass Incarceration by uh, Deva Pedger. So she was a, um, a sociologist in the U.S. I think she she's dead now. Unfortunately, she died pretty young. But uh, uh, it's basically just a book um, about. So she was basically uh, trying to to study how uh, mass incarceration. What are the the uh, the consequences of ma- mass incarceration in, to to the lives of young men because you know mass incarceration disproportionately affects young men and uh, and oftentimes young black men in the United States 
So she was trying to see what the consequences of of that were to to the lives of of young men in terms of their ability to get to find jobs and just uh, uh, try to build careers after being in prison. So it's really informative. Um, it is one of those, you know, works, I guess, fundamental works in the uh, in the literature about uh, the effects of uh, of uh, incarceration on the on the career trajectory and just the lives of uh, of black men in America. Um, yeah, uh, would recommend people to read that. It's not it's a it's not too big of a book. I think it's pretty short. It's like two hundred and sixty pages, but uh, many of those pages are like technical, um, uh, like n- footnotes and stuff. So you you can get through uh, that pretty quickly. So yeah, Mart race race crime and finding work in an era of mass incarceration by Deborah. All right, and this was Beyond Culture. Goodbye and good night. Good night.